Welcome to How I Raised It, the podcast that goes behind the scenes with entrepreneurs who've raised capital. We uncover the tips, tricks, and techniques they use to get investors to write a check. Strap in and turn it up. Hi, welcome to another episode of How I Raised It, produced by Foundersuite.com. Today I have Donish Damani of Ori coming to us from Philly. How's your day going? It's going well. Pretty weather outside here. Great. It's spring to yeah, it looks nice. It's springtime in Philly. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you had a hard winter this year or not. I don't I didn't think so, but like it must be pretty nice after like a Philly winter to finally yeah. have springtime. Yeah. Exciting. People are running outside. This, the trees are greening up, so that's the best part for me. That's great. Awesome. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about Philly in a minute, but first, let's just talk about what you do. What is Ori? Ori helps people, individuals, and teams deliver effective presentations and sound more confident with on-demand AI-driven feedback. Why do we do this? Well, I personally had the biggest fear of public speaking. I was a mechanical engineering student here at Drexel University in Philadelphia. Wanted to work for Elon Musk, either in SpaceX or Tesla. That was my career trajectory. Uh-huh. But one, an advisor pulled me aside and said, Danish, you know, you can be the smartest engineer, but if you cannot communicate and articulate your ideas, you're stuck. You have a glass ceiling on you. You can never become the CTO. You can be the smartest accounting person, but you can never become the controller in a company. And I'm like, I need to improve on my communication skills. So this advisor advised me to go and start joining Toastmasters, which is an amazing public speaking club when they religiously, after a few months, realized this is a learnable skill. Anyone can get better at it. And that's when I decided we need to make this crucial skill accessible to anyone anywhere in the world. Cool. Yeah. Interesting. So is it sort of um, Toastmasters in an app? Is that the, uh, <laughs> the, the tagline like pitch? Your, yep. It's like your own personal AI speech coach. Like right now, I can let it run and it'll give me feedback at the end on how well I spoke in this podcast. Okay, and so that was my next question. So how does it actually work? So you, you start the app, you hit play or record or whatever, it's listening to you, and then what is it tracking or measuring? Let's say, let's look at a speech coach. If, I, if there was a speech coach listening to you, they'll tell you, you use too many ums or us. There were too many words. That's really hampering your credibility. You're not sounding like a leader. So that's one thing where I picks out on how fast or slow you speak, your energy intonation. You don't want to sound flat, boring, monotone. You want to vary like a roller coaster and your use of pauses, your vocal clarity, and then your facial expressions as well. Are you smiling or are you frowning? It's watching you as well as, as listening. So it's, it's like recording your video as well. You have that option. Very interesting. Yeah, I notice when I do these podcast interviews, I I have a whole bunch of little quirks that I try and work on. So it's it's sometimes pretty uh, embarrassing to listen to yourself after you've recorded it, right? <laughs> so and and you get better by reviewing yourself personally and becoming self aware. But we are so busy, we just don't have time to either practice beforehand or to review our recordings. And that's, that's where Ori really plugs into your daily workflow. You don't even have to prepare. You don't even have to practice. Just let Ori run 
in a real game time sales pitch, a marketing pitch, a meeting you're running, a presentation you're running. That's what Aura is for. And get your feedback on how you can get better or what you did good today. That's cool. So let's take that scenario. I'm in a sales meeting. I let this run. I guess I'd probably want to inform the other party that it's being recorded. And then do I go back and listen to it? Or is it just a screen showing me you had 22 ums? Like, you know, what's the output? You hit stop, give your speech a title. And within 10 seconds, it'll give you both your recording, your overall score, and then gives you cards and tells you, let's say in your pace, you sounded too fast. Here are some things you can do to get better. Or a card on your filler words. It'll tabulate all your fillers and say, mm. next time you're about to drop an arm, just take a pause. It also gives you a transcript so you can visually see all of this and play it back. Yeah, that's very cool. That's very cool. If, uh, if you're only listening to this podcast and not watching, it's basically a few different screens with some charts. Your, your, uh, what kind of words did you call it? Your, uh, the words that you, uh, like the ums, what's, what are those called? They're called filler words. Filler words, also, yeah. Also known as clutch words or clutter words. Interesting. Yeah, that's very cool. And so who's the target audience? Just anyone who wants to get better public speaking or is it salespeople, executives, kind of like where's the sweet spot? It's true. Anyone who breathes can benefit from Orai. So that's everyone. However, as a startup, you have to focus in on a niche. So our focus is inside enterprises. The buyer we target is someone who is responsible for talent development. That could be a VP of sales. It can be a VP of engineering. It could be a learning and development executive. Any one of those who are responsible for upskilling and developing their people. Is it an enterprise license or is it a per app download or what's the pricing business model? It's an enterprise SaaS license. A company might come to us and say, hey, we need to purchase 500 annual licenses or 5,000 enterprise licenses or we want enterprise-wide solution all you can eat. That's how we function. But at the same time, we have a free trial on the App Store. So anyone can basically start getting the value out of Ori and assess whether this thing can actually build value inside the enterprise. So can I, as just an individual consumer, purchase it or I'm only limited to the free trial? Can you, can you buy a one-off license or not? You can, as an individual, buy a one-off license. Of course, it doesn't come with all the additional enterprise functionalities. Like enterprises need to measure ROI. If they're just purchasing a software, they don't know ROI, they can't purchase something. So we provide the manager dashboards, analytics. We also provide advanced security for their enterprise because people can practice really sensitive information on a tool like this. So we give them the guarantee of better security and privacy as well. Yeah, it's interesting. Did you go straight to enterprise as a business model just because that's where the, the money is? Or did you start in consumer and kind of pivot to enterprise? We have done both. Uh -huh. We started in consumer, realized that enterprises have a more compelling need to pay and a higher purchasing power. And you can actually show ROI inside the enterprise. And so we ended up becoming enterprise. Yeah, makes sense. Very cool. Well, let's talk about raising capital for this. Um, 
How much have you guys raised and over how many rounds? Let's say three rounds. Initially, there was family. Now, let's say four. The first one was business plan competitions. We were college students, so we could actually apply to a bunch of business plan competitions. And you'd be surprised how many are there out there. I just applied to every single one of them. And we won maybe 80,000 of free equity free money just by applying to business plan competitions. That was followed by family, raise some money from family. That was followed then by accelerator program. We were fortunate enough to go through Techstars, a three month long summer accelerator, really felt accelerated and felt like nine months of growth inside ORI. So we got some money there. And then once we completed the Techstars program, usually people go up and end up raising their first institutional investment. And that's what we did. So we raised 2.3 million seed round end of last year. Great. No, that's great. What business plans competitions did you, did you win or, or place in just out of curiosity? Our university was one of them. Drexel has a big entrepreneurship program and they invest heavily in startups and their students. So that was one. We applied for one at Baylor university. They also invest heavily in their entrepreneurs. That was a fun one. St. Louis University was another one. There was a Microsoft Imagine Cup that we won. Cool. Yeah, and that's great. How many did you ultimately uh, apply to? Or I'm, I've never heard this as a funding hack before, but I think it's, it's brilliant. So maybe talk about the funnel shape of, of applying to business plan competitions. 80, 80 led to four or what? Um, I would say... There is a five to ten percent chance you get in. Yeah, yeah. We might have applied to at least hundred over a span of three years or two years, and they have varying prize monies. The lowest we have won is fifty dollars. Then the highest we have won is twenty-eight thousand dollars. That's cool. That's cool. Did you go down to Texas to do the 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 big business plan competition down there? Yeah, that was the Baylor one in Texas. Got it. Cool. Yeah, I did uh, I did a bunch of these when I was in business school. I think I went to like four or five different competitions. And it's yeah. super fun. You get to meet other students and, you know, kind of get your pitch shredded on, on stage in front of 400 people. It's always, always fun, right? <laughs> and, there's, and there's a tip over here because it's not just winning based on your traction based on how big of a problem you solve. There is some emotional connection here as well with the audience. So you really have to read who are the judges? What are the kind of solutions would they resonate with? Are there people who look at social impact projects that are having tangible improvement on people's lives? Or are they just looking for a financial outcome of a billion dollar unicorn? You really have to assess that and that changes your pitch. So every competition, we might have a slight tweak in our pitches. Are these business plan competitions mainly limited to students or can anyone enter them? No, you need to be a student for many of these. And sometimes even just an undergrad student might qualify. Got it. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Let's talk about um, the next step, which is friends and family. Was this just, hey, we've got some, some momentum going with, we've won some of these competitions how did you sort of hit up friends and family? So it wasn't like, okay, we need money. 
many times your friends and family are actually following your progress. And I think we did a good job continuously posting our journey on Twitter, on Instagram stories, on Snapchat. So your parents and families are actually being are part of your journey. They feel like they already know and they can connect those dots. So they're like, these guys are really hustling and these guys are growing and they're getting published in TechCrunch and Wired and Fast Company. I want to be part of that journey. Yeah. So I think a big tip here is not to think of fundraising as a discrete moment, but it's a journey and a story that you're continuously telling. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And then what was the next after that was Techstars, right? Yes. And so talk about that. Was that Techstars Philly or which program? Yep. It was the first inaugural program here in Philadelphia. It was in partnership with Comcast. So you're getting double the benefit. You're getting the Techstars network, but you're also getting the benefit of Comcast and its resources. And what, what does that mean? I mean, Comcast, I think of, I don't currently subscribe to them, but that's my cable provider. So how does Comcast fit into what you're doing? Comcast is just much, much more than just a cable, cable provider. They are a technology company. They don't try and compete with, let's say, Verizon, but they compete against Google. That's what their thing is. They're a technology company. And inside a big organization like Comcast, who might have 100,000 employees, you have microcosms of use cases that can translate to any other industry out there. So we are doing work inside their sales teams. We're helping the technicians improve their communication skills. They're working with their marketing teams and a few other teams like that. That's great. No, that makes a lot of sense. What was the best benefit of Techstars? What did you get out of that? I'm sure you got a lot of things, but what were the top like two or three, you know, value props or takeaways from, from your time in Techstars? I think we became, we went from a, a hacky, scrappy startup to a, a company. Mm -hmm. A company that is poised for growth, a company that has good leadership skills as well. And I think soft skills and founder dynamics are super, super critical for a success of any startup. That's the other thing that the Techstars program brought us and then made us investment ready. You know, when an investor looks at this company, it's not just money. It's not just looking at, oh, if I invest in them, will I make 5x, 10x? There's more emotional connection that goes through. It's more storytelling. It's also a lot of logistical paperwork. Are your legal documents in place? What does your, your prior backgrounds look like? And so it's a whole 360 that Techstars brought us and made us investment ready as well. Yeah, that's great. So was it right after Techstars that you went out to raise the seed or was it part of Demo Day or, you know, talk about the chronology. Demo Day, I would say is day zero of the fundraise and within two months of Demo Day, we closed our round. Great. So you use Demo Day as the kickoff to really raise. And is that different? I mean, don't a lot of startups try and kind of already be partly funded by Demo Day and then use Demo Day to kind of fill out the round? Or maybe that's more white company or that has that sort of model. What do you think? Uh, that is definitely a Y Combinator model because Y Combinator does a great job in creating FOMO. There is no companies left if you don't get in before demo day. So I think that's Y Combinator. 
and that can be advantageous, but it can also be disadvantageous because you might prematurely raise money when you haven't hit your certain milestones or when you might not be ready yet. So it depends on a case by case basis. I just felt we were ready when we were ready. Totally. I think, uh, so let's talk about the process there. I think you had a post, which we'll link to, uh, that you wrote for on LinkedIn about 107 meetings or so. Maybe talk about how you uh, sourced or, or built your target investor list and arranged 107 meetings. Yeah. I think if you're a founder trying to go into fundraise, it is a game. Don't think of it as rolling the dice. Think of it as a strategic game that you're playing and you have to time bound it. Two months, let's say for a seed round, I think two months is good enough. What many of my friends or founders I've seen do is they might be fundraising with one foot in, one foot out. Fundraising is a full-time process. You want to go in and come out of it. You don't want to be trying to juggle running your business while simultaneously fundraising. Yeah. So that's the attitude we took, and I, I'm telling you, it works. And what you need to come in with is your funnel. It's all a funnels game. You need to fill your funnel with at least 100 or 150 leads. And these needs to be qualified leads, not just random investors you just Googled and found. You need to really curate who are the investors in line with your vision. For example, us, many of the theses, theses that really resonated with investors included people tech, ed tech, future of work. So all we did was Google future of work investor. If we saw an investor actually write a proper blog post on it or has done a lot of Twitter feeds and tweets on that, that's one, someone who knows our industry. So that's the kind of people who you curate in your funnel. And it's also very critical to know as a founder that there's a lot of money out there. Don't settle down for tier two, tier three money. Just focus on tier one money. And tier one money does not mean that it has to be a known brand. It doesn't have to be a Clarina Perkins or Sequoia. That's not what makes a tier one. Tier one for me is where there's a fit between your investor, yourself as a founder, and the market that you're going after. I like, I'm going to rewind to what you said just a minute ago of sort of building that list of 100, 150. And I thought that was an interesting approach. Like you're sort of finding keywords like future of work and just Googling future of work investor and seeing what pops up. Like what are some other approaches you were doing to build that list? Cause that's a pretty healthy list and that seems like a real good process. Yeah. So that was one. Another one is using tools like founder suite, like, VC is there are tools out there that you can actually start doing filtering that really saves the founder a lot of time. You already are constrained with your time. I'm sure as a founder, you can do so much more if not raising money. So I would recommend using tools like founder suite where it can perhaps give you an output of investors to look into and really quickly try and curate like, yes, I want this. I want this. I want this. It's like adding to your shopping cart. Right. That was the second. <laughs> yeah. It's good. That was that, a second. That, that'd be a fun product to add to Founder Street where it's like a shopping cart metaphor. You're adding all these investors. Now it's like time to check out, right? And yeah. yeah. Um, and then the third one was my network. Techstars was one of those networks that I utilized. I asked them 
to help me, hey, this is our business, this is our goals, who could you recommend to us or who can you introduce to us to do that? And you'll be surprised how helpful people are, how helpful mentors are, how helpful advisors are. They want you to succeed. So you might get five from someone else, 10 from someone else, five another from someone else, and that's helping you fill up that 100, 150 mark. Would you, uh, let's touch on that. You would kind of say, this is our business, this is what we're looking to do, find seed ground investors, who can you introduce us? Or would you take that list and show them who you already have and see if they know them or kind of a combination, like what, how did it, you know, play out? You have to do both. You have to do both. I would say initially do start asking them, not making the intro just yet. Just ask them, hey, who are the investors you think? And you'll be surprised. They can just name it on top of their mind. Oh, you should go after this guy, this guy, this guy, this, and this guy, or this lady. Mm -hmm. They'll be, they'll just tell because they just know. And then you do your due diligence, you do your research, and then tell them, okay, out of the five people you mentioned, I really liked three of them. Can I please send you a personalized forwardable email that you can use to just forward, add a note for me, and make that introduction. Make their lives easy. And that's a very critical piece. Yeah, for sure. I don't, totally, as someone who makes a lot of intros, I totally agree with that. <laughs> make it easy. Um, very good. And then, you know, were you, any tips for sort of generating momentum? I mean, you raised in two months. That's pretty quick. And did you have 107 meetings in, in that two months? Was that all compacted in there? Yes. And that's the other tip I'm giving is don't reach out to like 10 people a week. Make sure that day one, day two, you have reached out to all 100, 150 people. Because only if you do that, are you going to sustain that momentum? Only if you do that initial reach out in day one and day two, will you be filling up your calendars with at least three pitches a day? That's what you wanna aim for. Mm -hmm. That's great, yeah, that's super. Otherwise, what happens is you reach out to 20 of them, you feel, I don't need to reach out to 100, I don't need to reach out to 150, my business plan is strong, I'll just reach out to 20 and I'll close three of them. Don't go into that mistake because you don't control the process. However good your business is, there are 10 other companies out there that are pitching something similar. So don't fall into the trap of being overconfident. You might reach out to 20 in the first day and then by week three of your process, you have no more meetings. And then you're starting the whole process again. You're losing the momentum. So reach out to all 100 people in day one and day two. Yeah, no, I, I like that. I think the only, if you're not, if you're going through Techstars, you've got a lot of coaching and feedback on your pitch. The only like kind of time I maybe wouldn't agree, I totally agree with that approach. The only time I maybe wouldn't is when you're not confident about your pitch and maybe you need to do a sample, little market sample of, of 10 investors just to see, you know, if your pitch is like clicking or not, right? But if you're in Techstars, you're already getting that kind of feedback. Um, if I, I can understand that. So in which case, if, if you're not sure about your pitch, still reach out to people, but for your first week, for your first 10 pitches, only schedule those who you feel might be tier two, tier three investors so that you can actually start practicing. Yep, agreed on that too. Um, very good. And in the, the 
blog post you did, you talked about embracing vulnerability when negotiating. Maybe talk about what you meant by that. Go out there and watch the talk by Brené Brown mm-hmm. on the vulnerability. It's so important to not come into a meeting and feel like you know everything. As founders, you're actually going to do yourself a favor by showing some vulnerability, showing confusion, showing uncertainty, showing like you're stuck, you're at a crossroad, showing that sometimes you're crying. Just open yourself up because there's another book that I read, uh, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. It's about the art of negotiation. And you want to invite the other party to your side. And the way you do that is by making them put on the problem-solving hat. And if you're opening yourself up to vulnerability, then their problem-solving hat goes on and they come to your side. Then they're trying to help you figure out how can you hit your milestones and your goals. Can you give an example of that? Because I can also see that if you did it poorly and you came in kind of vulnerable or admitting you don't know everything, you could appear uh, just like you're lazy or didn't do your homework or, uh, you know what I mean? Like, what's an example? Do you have an example you can give us of how you kind of got vulnerable about something? Yes, I think you bring up a great point. You don't want to be vulnerable or uncertain about your market potential. This is just research. You need to know how big your market is. You need to know who your buyer persona is. If someone, investor asks you, what is your metrics that matter? You need to know that. You need to know what's your DAU, your MAU, what your CAC and LTV is. So you cannot be uncertain about these fundamental business metrics of your business model. What you can be uncertain of is maybe your second niche market that you might go after. Maybe your initial beachhead might be salespeople because you have proven that through 50 to 100 sales conversations, but maybe the market is not a billion dollars for you. So you're uncertain how to scale this product to 100 million in revenue. Maybe you can be uncertain about that. Maybe you can be uncertain about your future team. You might have three great co-founders, but you don't know because you have never hired before. This might be your first startup. You've never hired someone before. You don't know how to hire a senior VP of engineering or senior data scientist. Maybe that's a vulnerability you can show. Yeah, makes sense. Very good. What's the, um, what's the Philly uh, funding scene like these days? Uh, is it pretty healthy? A lot, of, a lot of VCs there? I don't know really too much about Philly at all in terms of venture capital. You have a handful, not many VCs, or particularly for early stage, but you have a few. And many times, these VCs here in Philly do require you to have your, let's say, at least 250K in ARR before they would look at you. You might be a C-state startup. So that can get tough if you are a pre-revenue startup. So then your alternative is to go after these angel groups. And from my experience pitching to angel groups, there is a lot of emotional aspect. Because they have money, they want to help you, they want to help the community, and it's an emotional pitch at times versus really good investment returns. 
and mm. you also aside from angel groups you have angels who are serial entrepreneurs who want to reinvest in the Philadelphia ecosystem we found some great angels from there as well who want to give back to the community so you have that in Philly as well what are the angel groups called uh, people want to learn more or research it you have around four or five that I pitched to. One of them would be Broad Street Angels. The other one was Robin Hood Angel Group. Yeah. Okay, that's good Good to start with. Broad Street Angels and Robin Hood. Um, check those out. Did, did the rub people complain about angel groups is that it's a lot of like tire kickers, but no one ever writes a check. Did, did you get any money from, <laughs> from the angel group? Or angel investors? We didn't get money. I think we could have got money. But because we committed to VC, our valuation was higher than many angel groups' appetite as well. So it might be true that angel money might be, angel groups might be targeting, but whatever, whoever you're pitching to, as long as you have a compelling if you can make a compelling case for yourself, people might line up to give you money. So I think all you need to do is build something people love. If you can build something people love and there's an exchange of value where people are paying you in return for that, people can line up to your door to give you money. Um, there's a filler word. I just caught myself saying, um, just from this conversation. So I'll try to skip that. Uh, very good. So, what? Though is also a filler, by the way. Yeah, so... <laughs> <laughs> I think I have a lot of them. Um, what would you, uh, if you're doing this all over again, any tips uh, you would give your younger self, you know, you're pretty young, but if you're giving your, your younger self even more tips, what would you do differently, if anything? I did make the mistake of not reaching out to all 100, 150 in day one, day two. I did. Like I was overconfident. I felt we just came out of tech stars. We have a brilliant pitch. I'll just reach out to like 2025. These are my tier one VCs. I just want them. That's it. I'll convince them. It's, I've read their thought leadership. It's like a match made in heaven. But that was not the case. One month passed by and we were still getting our tires kicked. And everyone wanted to be educated, but no one wanted to commit. And that's when I doubled down on reaching out to people using more of my network. So that... Going back, I would change that and use some of these tips that I'm mentioning because that's by experience. And also doing more research. You can never do enough research. And when I say research, I mean know that investor in and out. Look at what their social media pages are looking like. See what their kind of things they're liking on LinkedIn. How are they commenting on LinkedIn at different people's posts? What industries are they focused in on? Because having the right partner can be a make or break to your startup. And when I say make or break, I don't mean die or be okay. I mean success. I mean 10x success. If you want 10x success, if you're going to truly have global impact on millions of people across the globe, you need the right partner who can not just bring monetary resources, but intellectual resources and the right connections. That's what I look at in an investor. Yeah, that's good. Who ended up leading your round or did you have a lead or was it a party round? Comcast Ventures led the round and then around five other VCs participated. 
Very cool. Menlo VC was one of them. BDMI from New York, Newark Venture Partners, Techstars followed on, Ben Franklin from Philadelphia. Very good. Okay, almost done here. I'll let you get back to it. What was the, the hardest or most surprising part about fundraising? What was the hardest for you? Was it the research part, the negotiation part, the what? Negotiation, no. I love, I love talking. I love connecting with people, building relationships. That was my most fun part. I think the hard part was the nose. Here you're a founder. As a founder, you're one of the most optimist people in the world, <laughs> in humanity, about your product. And when others don't believe in you, it just hurts. I think that was really hard. But it's a sales game. You have to get up, get up stronger and fight again. Totally. It's hard. I, we got rejected this morning from an a enterprise RFP. And man, it just got under my skin for like the first couple hours of the day. It is hard. It's hard to get rejected, right? It's just like it happens. And, and like you're saying, you got to just get back into sales mode and go after the next one. But uh, yeah. yeah, nose are never easy. <laughs> uh, the other thing, I also sometimes saw my team, those nose reflecting on my team and losing momentum, losing motivation. So I had to be strategic and what to tell the team and what not to tell the team. And that was also really hard. Where you, actually, let's that? touch on that for a second. Did you kind of run the fundraising by yourself or with some of your co-founders or, you know, how did you sort of separate that? I think that's always interesting. I led the fundraise in the team and I got support where I needed. For example, I needed help with my deck. So of course I asked our head of design, Felicia, for that. I needed some help with business modeling. So I asked my co-founder, Asim, help with that. I needed sometimes to convince investors that our tech is super deep, super IP, and super great. So I had to bring in my CTO, Paritosh, for that. So it's a tag team effort, but one person is leading it, and that was me. And kind of what you were starting to go down, did you keep the, the nose away from them? I mean, maybe you're giving them updates like, hey, we've, moving into due diligence with these guys, but maybe you're keeping the, the nose away from everyone else or what do you think? Strategically, yes and no. You want to be transparent. You don't want to come in after two weeks and say, oh, I got denied by all of these. <laughs> right. That, that, is, that is more of a blow to a team than in small chunks. So you have to determine what the appetite is for your team. In, in like groupings, a good news with a bad news together. Yeah, good. Okay, I will let you get back to building the business. If people want to learn more, it's orai.com.co. Uh, what is it? We have the dot .com. Great, good job. <laughs> really, really hard to get a four-letter dot .com. Did you have to buy it? You must have bought it. Or we had to buy it. What was the name before? Did you buy it after funding or before? We bought it after funding because before funding, you can't justify costs like that. And before funding, we were called oriapp.com. Okay. Not, not bad, but ori.com is great. Yeah, I like that. Good job. 
All right, Danish, thank you so much. This is really good. Um, lots of good stuff in here. Um, anything you want to promote or plug? People just check out ori.com. So we, we primarily sell to enterprises. So if there's any enterprise customer listening to this, please do reach out. But I know many of your target audience are founders. We don't make much money, but founders, please practice your pitch. Practice, make sure it has no arms or us. Make sure you are concise. Make sure that you're not using vocabulary that makes it seem tentative. Don't say, I think I'm raising $1 million. I think I'm going to need it for an 18-month runway. No, be concise and make sure you practice that on a right. Or I will give you that feedback. And if you have any feedback for us, please reach out. Yeah, this product sounds tailor-made for a lot of people in our audience who are getting out there and fundraising and putting their their heart and soul on the line in front of hundreds of investors. So this is great. Um, all right. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. And we'll catch you after your next round. Thank you. Bye, Nathan. Bye.